0: What happened was my daughter, she saved my life. Just point blank, she saved my life because I didn't have love for myself in which to say, hey, you know this, this isn't acceptable. No, but I had love for my daughter.
1: Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is Dr. Carolyn Colleen. She's a shining example of the fierce power of the human spirit in defiance of unthinkable abuse. And this is Christopher Lockhead Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues, not over produced and edited interviews, with some of the amazing people who are making our world a different place. We're sponsored by Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business at NetSuite.com different. I also want to tell you about my friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And we have our eighth annual conference coming up in October uh, the 12th and 13th, 2019, in beautiful Long Beach, California. Speakers include folks like billionaire entrepreneur Jeff Hoffman, venture capitalist Cody Sanchez, best-selling author John Vroman, our guest today, uh, Dr. Carolyn Colleen, will be there, and I'll be speaking there as well. To learn more, check out the number one, lifefullylived.org slash Lockhead. All right, Carolyn, this is an extraordinary human being. She has a PhD in organizational leadership from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She's the best-selling author of a fantastic book called Fierce. And um, I would encourage you to put on your big girl pants or your big boy pants for this conversation because we have a riveting discussion about the triumph of the human spirit. From the time Carolyn was four years old until her early twenties, she suffered unthinkable, unimaginable, both verbal and sexual abuse. She tells us how she made it by focusing on taking care of her younger sister. And how having her own daughter when she was 19 years old inspired her to leave her abusive marriage and design her own life. And what she learned in her incredible journey, literally from food stamps to earning a Ph.D. and becoming a celebrated author. Some of this stuff is heavy, but I'll tell you this is not a heavy conversation. This is a story of triumph. Carolyn is a person you are going to love getting to know. And uh, look, I'll say it. I think this conversation is going to impact a lot of people's lives. Check out Lockhead.com for the show notes and key takeaways uh, from this episode and more from Dr. Colleen. And now, hey-ho, let's go.
0: As my definition of love evolved, I evolved. And so I've learned to further deepen my definition of love, my definition of how I love, how I see love in the world and humanity, along with a deeper sense of self-love. And I feel that that piece of it is what emanates in my, my story, a bit of that and how it's started and how I've gotten to where I am now, I think is really a lot of healing and and taking time to understand what happened, which really happened, it's valid, but how I then interpret what happened and how it affects my current state, my current being, and then how it affects the decisions that i make for the future and my outlook outlook for the future as well and so is your past
1: experience present for you regularly
0: you know it it used to be and i'd say it still is it's the perspective that's different so i would you know coming from a, a place of trauma of you know, a, a physical, sexual, emotional abuse. I've done a lot of self work in realizing when things might trigger, and then how it affects my life, and how it, and how it had in the past affected my affected my life and the decisions that I made. And then as I continually grew, and as I continually realized that what happened to me doesn't define me then i was able to say oh you know sometimes pe- people um, who have experienced trauma who suffer from ptsd may have flashbacks may have places where you know it may be a certain sound it may be a certain smell it may be a, a, a certain you know way that you see another person walk or their demeanor that might trigger a memory and we have we have memories both positive negative All across the board but we do have triggers things that remind us of things and how those are reminded um, and then what how you deal with them and what you do with it and so um, I would say that my perspective is very different so yes memories pop up and and it's a daily thing however what do what do I do with that and how does it affect me is really where i'm at so my my perspective changed it evolved and it grew Hmm. to oh all right so that happened and i found a way to figure out how to view it in a space of that made me stronger or i find gratitude in that or you know what i might still be a little angry about that but it's not going to determine the, the direction that i'm that i'm going
1: yes You so powerfully, Carolyn, remind me, I have a few people in my life who suffered um, extraordinary physical and emotional traumas of one sort or another um, at relatively young ages, uh, who today I would describe as, I don't know nun-like, monk-like, priest-like, shaman-like in their their sort of um, peace. Mm -hmm. And, And in who they are being, as corny as this might sound, it's gonna make me sound like I've lived in California too long, but in who they are being in the world. The thing that struck me when I saw you give a talk at Best Life was and I think this is what I'm trying to put my finger on with, with, with at least part of what makes you so remarkable. Your presence uh, is is a very powerful thing. It, you remind me of Will Little in that way or in Shawn Stevenson in that way. You're just, you, there's, you're present and you know there's somebody of consequence. And I think, um, you know, it, maybe for people, it would be easy to look at you and go, oh, well, you know, she's got this big smile and these big eyes and you're an attractive gal. And it would be easy to, it would be easy to ascribe it to some physical thing, but it's actually as corny as I know this fucking sounds. It's a, you have a presence and what makes that to me, um, that would be powerful if there was no context for it. You sort of know you met somebody of consequence, like I said earlier, but the thing that strikes me the most about that is, trying to imagine the ground that you had to cover from what you experienced as a little girl and and as a young woman uh, and then as a young married woman to where you are today. I I can't even imagine the ground um, from a human development point of view that you have covered, the Samsonites you have unpacked the self-actualization in ruthless, you know, fashion with yourself to deal with all of this shit, to be the person that we get to experience today. I just, uh, candidly, I can't fucking believe it.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's been an interesting journey. Um, so can you take me through it, Carolyn? Yeah. Do you mind? Yeah. I can. I can and um and then bring you to the piece that I have found as well. So yes, um so a bit of my story and who I am. So I am a proud fierce mother of 3. Um I'm, I'm an author, I'm an international speaker. I'm a PhD and I'm a life and business strategist. Um along with along with a found, you, founder and, of my family.
1: sorry to interrupt you but and you have a very interesting phd don't you
0: it's a organizational behavior and systems so i get paid the big bucks to um to analyze and understand people behaviors and systems and so um with and the what need- a
1: remarkable place for uh, you to land, Dr. Colleen.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yes, it, it, it really actually aligns quite nicely with my story uh, because, uh, you know, being able to come from that space of understanding people and behavior and systems. And then that's another thing that I've learned along the way. So, you know, my, as I talk about my definition of love and I talk about now, the journey that I've been on, that definition of love, it was very skewed and confused starting at a very young age. So starting at the age of four, I was sexually abused by my teenage neighbor. And that abuse um, and that relationship really forming what definition was, you know, for a young four-year-old um, began the confusion of who I was what love meant, and then also the role of men in my life. So that abuse continued for the duration that we lived um, in that, in that, that space. Um, and, and then the abuse continued in my young childhood. Uh, my,
1: even after you moved away from the neighbor,
0: even though I, even after I moved away. And that's interesting because, you know, taking, taking a person out of that situation, but then it, it it's it so oddly continued and followed
1: and with the same guy
0: different people
1: oh different people so the pattern repeated
0: it did and it was
1: throughout your childhood
0: throughout my childhood yes um and it was strangers it was people you know my 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 mother she she meant very well in opening our home up to people who uh, were down on their luck and needed a place to stay and maybe a warm meal. And she was very giving and very kind in that way, however, she also struggled with mental health um challenges and um she 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 trusted a lot of people um that maybe didn't need to be trusted um, not maybe they didn't so let's be clear so um and then she also she struggled so she you,
1: struggled. she exposed you and your sister to a lot of uh very questionable people, and some of those people did not nice things to you. Is that exactly. is that right?
0: Exactly, they sought to abuse that love that she shared, uh, took advantage of it, and, and so. How
1: old would you have been when this sort of stuff was going on?
0: Um. So there, it was between the ages of nine and thirteen. Nine around nine and thirteen, so several times with different people, men and women who sought to molest my sister and I. Um, I, as the protector of my sister, I got in the way of that and my sister was not abused. And, you know, I I took that space of being a pseudo mother to my sister and we're very, very close today. Uh, but the, the thing is, is that I, I was in a lot of, you know, that space of protection, and then the teenage years hit. And uh, as as you probably recall, or I, you know, as far as the, some of the the spaces that you're in when you're in a teenage years, it's it's a tough spot to be in. <laughs> and uh, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back and do it again, especially middle school. It's just awful. But <laughs> um,
1: what made it so awful?
0: Just uh you know the the there's the 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 average middle school stuff as far as you know hormonal changes and the pressures of just you know being a being a teenager itself and um you know there's that piece, but then there's also the pressure that I was dealing with at home um along with my very skewed um impression of who I was as a person which at that point, I, you know, I really I defined myself as just basically being someone who was put here to be used and abused. And um, in, in looking back at that perspective, along with, yeah, just being a teenager, I ended up getting, I remember as a teenager, ha- getting, having my first boyfriend and, and that puppy love is so exciting. And, <laughs> and you think, oh, it's going to last forever. And then you break up. <laughs> And uh, and that was that was quite devastating. Um, but and you were I,
1: going through the regular teenager stuff, doctor. At yes. the same time, um, and again, you, you know, you tell me. I want to. I know this is a tough topic, right? But at the same time, the abuse in your life continued throughout your teenage years, did it not? Yes. And you were also. Um, your home situation, even independent of the abuse, um, w- would you technic- would your mother? Would you say your mother was a hoarder, or how how would you describe the home environment that you were living
0: in? Yes, so we grew up in a, um, a hoarding environment. So my my mother, she had struggled with some mental health issues, and hoarding was one of them. And so yes, if you can think, if you think about American Hoarders, you think about um, that show. It was very similar. Um, you know, we had. Just junk everywhere. Um, just uh, stuff, broken things, you know, just collections of things everywhere to the point where.
1: Like what um, kinds of things, doctor?
0: Um, like we would have four or five toasters, broken bread makers, uh, four or five of them. You know, <laughs> just uh, things that, you know, you'd, you'd find at a garage sale that were half broken. Um, Papers, magazines, all just collections of of things that most would throw in the garbage.
1: So how, how do you deal with um, being a teenager and all the teenager stuff that we all have to deal with? And at the same time, living in the home environment that you're living in and having this abuse take place in your life, it... it I mean, how does that work, doctor?
0: You know, I think that it didn't work so well because um, as a teenager, I broke up with my boyfriend and then um, I tried to take my own life. So I took 25 sleeping pills and I ended up in the emergency room um, and then on a 72 hour hold. And the thing that I realized. When I came home, I, I hit a wall. I hit a wall of, okay, if this is what life is, um, then maybe it's just not meant for me to be here. Um, I felt a void of love, even the skewed definition that I had, and so um, the breaking breaking up with my boyfriend was the tip of the you know of the iceberg. You know, he was, he was the one thing that I thought would be something positive. And when that ended, I thought, "Mm, okay, well, maybe this just isn't meant to be. And And, how old uh, were
1: you again, Carolyn?
0: At that point, I was 16. 16. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, after, after the 72 hour hold that they put you on for attempting to take your own life, I came home, um, embarrassed. And yeah, embarrassed, true, just truly feeling worthless um, and upset that I didn't succeed. Um, And when I came home to my sister, you you know, my parents were, you know, of course, they were concerned and they were angry and they were hurt. But my sister is really the one that when I came home to her, and seeing her face and seeing that her, the fear on her face that her protector was trying to leave her, the rejection, the feeling that I put onto her of an unmeaningful, um, it did, it did not mean to give her that, that unworthiness feeling as well. Yeah. I didn't need to pass that on.
1: And, and but, you felt like you let her down by putting her in the situation.
0: Yep, yeah. definitely. And she felt that way. And, and she's very angry, uh, of course. And I promised her that I wouldn't leave her again. And I never did.
1: Mm. So that never. that was the only time you attempted to take your own life? Yes. Yeah.
0: Because in that moment, I realized that, um, you know, I I was the shining star to her and and not her protector her shining star her beacon
1: were there and ever periods that. were there ever periods during your you know childhood and or teenagehood where you went any kind of meaningful a time uh, uh, without sort of suffering any abuse
0: oh yes there's there are waves there were waves definitely um there so there were, were some wave- breaks Yes.
1: Where you yes. could feel like a normal child or a normal teenager for a while.
0: Yeah, there definitely definitely breaks. It was not um you know con- a, a continuous not I mean what's interesting is that when you when you're in an environment like this there's it's waves. It's not um in in a, a continuous suffering. It's not it's not that it's not that wasn't it. And um growing up in an environment like that it, it was it, Especially with uh, you know a parent who suffered from mental illness, there's good days and when they're really good, and then there's bad days when they're really bad, and and learning to ride the wave. Yeah. Um, so there's some days where you know I felt, you know, love, Yeah, I felt loved and appreciated, and then other days where I felt completely, um, the, the complete void in in the in the mind game, of the continuous unknowing. You know the the up and the down and the all around continuous change and uncertainty is really something that can cause a lot of mental stress.
1: And and did your parents not know what was going on, or did what was going on with your parents? Uh, I mean,
0: no. Um, see, my dad years he years here. my dad worked on the road, so a lot many years. You know, he was gone. Um, he sent money home. And there were times where we lived, you know, five hours away from each other. There are times we lived half the country away from each other. And his his um, purpose and and his his idealization of being a father was to provide for his family, and that's what he did. Um, And so my mother, she she was a stay-at-home mother for the most part, Um, and um, she was, but she would also leave she would leave for days at the time sometimes i weren't quite sure where she was but she was struggling Uh, with
1: her how old would you have been doctor when she left you and your sister at home
0: um no she i would say my sister she's about eight years my sister's eight years younger than i and so once my sister was born you know my mom struggled even more with mental health challenges and um it kind of pushed her off the deep end actually and so she would leave you know me with my baby sister you know two to three t- days in a row, um, sometimes a day, sometimes like two when
1: you days. were eight or ten years old and your sister yes. was a newborn or a very young.
0: When she was young, you know. Infant. I'd be I'd be ten and she'd be you know a year and a half, two years old.
1: And was she hoarding at the time? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure I have this picture right. You're eight or ten years old. You have a newborn or toddler sister. Mm-hmm. And your mother disappears for several days,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're alone in this house full of toasters and God knows what. Yes. And would she leave food for you, or like how did you survive? And you
0: know, years? I learned how to take care of myself very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I. You know, and so it, would
1: you go to the grocery store? You'd do whatever you had to do, kind of thing.
0: Yep, I would survive on what we had, and so um, I, you know, I remember times where. Um, you know, my sister, she was four. And so then I would be, um, 12, 13 and my mom would be gone and there wouldn't be any food, you know, maybe some a can of beans or something like that. And I'd dig around and I'd give the food to my sister because she needed it. And, um, I remember being hungry and not quite knowing, you know, what to do, but, uh, as far as food goes, but I'd feed my sister and make sure that she is taken care of. Um, and growing up at a young age like that, learning to be resourceful, learning to figure it out um, at a very young age. And, and I don't know what exposure that you might have to mental health, people, um, but it was more of a scenario of me raising my mother and my mother struggled. Uh, and ever since I remember, ever since I was little—little uh, little meaning age four and five—that I was taking care of her. Now, my mother, she tried for many years to um, have a have a child of her own. I'm adopted; I was adopted when I was a week old. And she tried for many, many years to have a child of her own. And she had many, many miscarriages. Um, she says seventeen. I'm not sure if that's an accurate number, but. Um,
1: do you think she what? had more or less than seventeen miscarriages?
0: I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean that. <laughs> I, sure. I mean, obviously, I'm not a woman. It's a lot, and, but it sounds like an extraordinary number to me.
0: It does. It yeah. does.
1: Was and it? Was she not physically well as well?
0: Yes, she was also not physically well. Um, so she, she had health issues as well. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I don't know if that number is accurate. Um, right. She had she had challenges with telling the truth or her version of it. And so, um, once my sister was born, I was, I was scared. Once my, when I learned that my, my mother was pregnant, I was scared because, um, I didn't know how she was going, you know, I took care of my mother. I didn't know how she was going to take care of a baby. And the.
1: So even at that age, at eight years old, you understood that your mother was not capable of caring for the baby.
0: mm -hmm.
1: Wow. That's not what I thought you were going to say at all. Wow. I mean, at eight years old, you're processing things that adults are processing. Like you're thinking right. about how are we going to take care of this child when my mother has got physical and mental problems. Yes, and an A doctor.
0: It's an it's a um, it's a lot to process as a child, and so I, you know, my sister was born, and um, and that's where I noticed that my mother her the struggles were even bigger. So she would spend days in bed. Um, she's, you know, uh, my sister, I would take care of her and I would be afraid to go to school um, because I knew that when I came back, my sister would still be in the pack and play. And so, um, you know, some days I'd stay home sick from school just to make sure she was all right. And, you know, these are little, these are, they're not little things, but they're things that, you know, some days were you know some days were actually you know very, very great um, where you know my mom she she'd have it together and we'd and we'd have like a a you know a little a mini trip to um, you know go explore like a flea market or something. you know on one hand she she would pick up a bunch of stuff and bring it home, which just never made sense to me. But then at the other hand, I had you know I had quality time with my mother when she was in a great space. So she was Um,
1: happy when she was shopping.
0: Right.
1: Right. I've heard that, that it's not actually a hoarding problem. It's a shopping
0: problem. (laughs) What do I know? Yeah. And so there's, you know, there were, there were puppered, you know, wonderful memories. Um, And again, when it was good, it was great. And when it was bad, it was bad, really bad.
1: And how old were you when you got married, Carolyn?
0: So... When I got married, I was nineteen. So I, um, as you can imagine, I I fell into a relationship with a man who reflected my self worth and my definition of what I thought love was. Uh, I thought love was uncertain, love was undeserving, unpredictable, and um, in in suffering, and so. I was very, as you can you might be able to imagine I was very self-serving uh, um not not self-serving I was very self-sacrificing
1: and subservient
0: and, and subservient yes and um
1: and because all you'd ever known with men was abuse yes guess who we married right right and i mean when i heard you talk about the kinds of things that uh I don't know how else to put it, so I'm just going to put it the way it is in my mind that he did to you. Uh, I mean, the level of controlling behavior is beyond anything that I think many of us can comprehend.
0: Yes, and uh, and I allowed it, and, and I didn't really see that it was wrong. So he would, would monitor. He let you go out on your own? No. No, you
1: couldn't go out if if you and I were friends or maybe a girlfriend, maybe forget a guy for a second. Maybe you and a girlfriend couldn't go have a coffee or a a nice Chardonnay or something.
0: No, (laughs) no, 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 no. That, you know, and that's the thing. It didn't start out that way. You know, no one in their right mind is going to, you know, go in courts. you know, go on a court as you date and say, hey, you know what? How about we go out because I'm going to monitor your food, monitor your time, monitor your money and I'm going to make you lose all your friends. I mean, that's not exactly a sale, but it's something that starts slowly. And, um, you know, we met and it was, it seemed great. Um, you know, he gave me attention and told me, you know, how great I was, you know, and at 19, yeah. Okay. Great. You know, (laughs) and, uh,
1: Were you running away as well, doctor?
0: Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, it was more of a, ok, this person needs help, and I'm really good at it. and so
1: so you thought those, you would rescue him from his exactly. bad behavior.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you had seen before you got married some of this abusive or how would you describe his behavior that was the, a, an idea of what would come?
0: The coined phrase of many people who have been in abusive relationships is the misunderstood. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, I saw the misunderstood piece. What
1: would be an example?
0: Um, you know, misunderstood meaning that nobody, all of my friends, you know, they they didn't understand him. They wanted to destroy us. They wanted, you know, they were jealous of how much we loved each other. You know, those types of those types of sayings um, mm-hmm. that are you know quite common. Um, and thinking back, they're quite comical um, as far as the the ability to from the perspective of reasoning as to why someone would treat you in that manner um and and so, yes.
1: how did he treat you
0: um so very quickly i my friends were alienated because that no no one liked him and, and the reason for that is that I, he was misunderstood um they didn't like him because of the way that he talked to me and the way that he talked to other people and the way that um you know, it's just very negative. Um, and so then that was dismissed as being misunderstood. Um, but he would monitor my, you know, he'd monitor what I ate. So, um, he would monitor my food so that I would stay thin and attractive to him because, you know, being, um, being, you know, not even, even down to making sure that I didn't work out too much because he didn't want me to be muscular. Um, and making sure that I had just mainly just vegetables to eat, um, so that I didn't get overweight or or you know become the definition of what he thought was fat. And then, and you know, and yeah.
1: the the answer might be obvious, but I don't know. Maybe it's not. I'm curious. at At the time when these things are happening to you, why are you succumbing to these requests? Why Why is this working? What Why aren't you able to stand up for yourself?
0: Uh, Cause I didn't have the wherewith to stand up for myself in the first place. The yep. foundation was not laid. Yeah. You know, the foundation was laid from age four. Right. So, and so having you no know, be
1: okay to say, what are you talking about? I'm not doing any of that. That, that wouldn't have even occurred to you.
0: No, mm-mm. no, because I thought that, that the I thought that, he, that, I reasoned that he had my best interests in mind and nobody else understood how much of the best interest he had in mind all the way to the fact that, you know, he wanted to make sure I didn't, I didn't, I stayed thin. He wanted to make sure that.
1: That's how much he loved you, know, you right? doctor? That's how
0: much he loved me. And, and he wanted to make sure that no one was trying to steal me. So he would monitor my time. You know, of course, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, inside, I didn't feel that I was uh, worth enough to attract someone who would actually, you know, speak kindly to me or, you know, tell me how valuable I was. And so the way that he spoke to me, you know, was, um, you know, that I wasn't, I wasn't, very, you know, I wasn't very intelligent. I wouldn't be able to survive without him. Know that, um, You know, that I was a liar and I was a cheater, and you know, all these different things that fed into what I had already thought I was. And so, um, it was just simply validating the negative self talk that I had. And so, him monitoring me was almost like a safe haven because, you know, what if I really was somebody who was a cheater, or what if I really was somebody who, you know, lied or, you know, I I wasn't. Um, good enough to, you know, stay registered in college. I wasn't smart enough for that. So just basically self, um, what is it? Self-prophecy. Yeah. Fulfillment. So yeah, you know, it it, it got to the point where I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself because he felt that, you know, maybe I was in the bathroom pleasuring myself. So therefore I needed to be monitored. Carolyn You know
1: I just got I I just bless you And I you know look I I just want to say it it's just what I'm feeling so I'm going to say to you what I, what I feel like I just want to say I'm sorry
0: Thank you thank you
1: I'm so sorry yeah. I don't understand any of it I really don't and, um, you know, maybe it's because I grew up with a single mom and a sister and, you know, my dad was around, so it wasn't like he wasn't in the picture, he absolutely was, but we lived with my mom and I was very close to both my grandmothers. So I don't know, as a, just as a little boy, there was lots of female energy around me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my grandfather on my mom's side always made it very clear to me that I had to take care of the women in my life right from from as a little boy and I took him seriously Uh, and so I've I think like a a lot of good men have a strong sense of um, I know it's maybe not okay to say it this way but I don't know how else to say it but a a protection feeling right Mm -hmm. and I don't mean that pejoratively and I don't mean women can't take I don't mean any of that stuff I'm not I'm not doing any of that I'm just saying look there is a primordial thing. It's part of why uh, at least some men and women are attracted to each other, for sure. Um, and I just think for some men, um, there is a primordial thing that we get taught. I was raised by a very strong uh, single woman. And um, yeah, we get taught our job is to be that protector. And so as as a guy that has felt that way my whole life, um,
0: God, I'm just so sorry. Well, you were raised well. That's um, that's honorable how you were raised, and um, and I really respect that, and I really I hope and I I hope that for my boys, and I and I and I work to continue to ch- to teach them that because that is that's beautiful. So I I really I really appreciate that. And honor your mother for for doing that because we need more men That are raised in that way
1: We actually you know, we had professor Scott Galloway uh, On a little while ago and uh, he's got this new book out on happiness It's a very it's a great book called the algebra of happiness and he's a very smart guy He and I don't agree about everything, but I think he's a very he's a guy worth uh, Engaging with and I respect him a ton anyway in our conversation uh, about happiness and some of the research, you know that we t- we touched on the fact that there is a crisis uh, with young men in our world. Uh, we, as a society in the United States, are not producing young men anymore. Um, one of the worst jobs in America is military recruiter, because the average eighteen-year-old American boy can't do five push-ups. Right? I mean, we just. Anyway, it's a whole other topic. But yes, we as a society need to figure out how to raise more good men. And I want to get to your boys for sure. Um, but th- so there you are, young woman, 19, 20. How long were you married, doctor?
0: Uh, m- married for a year and a- uh, three years. So it uh, took. Mm-hmm.
1: And abused by him in in many ways, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Um and so at what point, like, how does it end? How how do you say I'm not doing this anymore? What happens?
0: What happened was my daughter, she saved my life. Just point blank. She saved my life because I didn't have love for myself in which to say, Hey, you know, this, this isn't acceptable. No. Um, But I had love for my daughter and, you know, uh, my daughter i wasn't that mother that um fell in love with my daughter immediately you know some sometimes when babies are born you have like this some mothers will say that they just have that they're overwhelmed with love immediately when they're born well that wasn't me i was terrified i was terrified because i was worried i was going to do it wrong so I read every book I possibly could while I was pregnant. I um, I got I, I got registered for a program actually that is for sexual abuse victims because um, when you go through the process of birthing a child, you can have quite a bit of trauma reoccur. And so I started um, in therapy, and my husband allowed that because um, he you know he he was he felt that that was okay. I could do that. And so um, he, he allowed be me a
1: human being about a few things every once in a while.
0: Yes. And, and he allowed me to go and do that um, because we'd be talking specifically about my abuse, not about anything else. And so, um, you know, it took me uh, it took me a year in therapy just to admit my uh, abuses. Because you get very good at keeping things secret. Even to yourself and so um within that time period i um after i had my daughter she was two months old and i'd been going through therapy and um and i i, I fell in love with my daughter if i remember it specifically it was a about about four in the morning when the sun was coming out of the sky and my daughter had been screaming for two months and my daughter was colicky and i and I, and I, thinking back, she's colicky because of the environment that I had put her in. I was stressed. Um, the, tent, the relationship was stressed and the environment was very stressful. And so she screamed. She cried and cried and cried. And finally, after two months of screaming, she stopped crying in the moment that I prayed for help. Now, at that point, I had actually given up the idea that there might be a God. Uh, because the shit storm had continued. It didn't seem to stop. And I thought, well, maybe this doesn't exist. But in that moment, when I felt like I was at the end of my rope, even though I, what I promised my sister I'd never quit again, um, I had to ask somebody for help. And I didn't know who and I didn't know what, but I just wanted anyone to listen. And I prayed. And when I did that, my daughter stopped crying. And she looked at me into my eyes as if she was looking at my soul, and I got goosebumps. And I fell in love with her in that moment. In this moment of peace, of of just um, inner peace, and um, I started to cry, um, just a small tear, because you know you don't cry because that that could mean something so I um I knew in that moment I needed to do something I didn't know what but I knew that I was not going to continue the cycle and um that was it was a a fire was lit it was a small one but it continued to grow and it took me a year and a half for me to get out of that relationship because I went back and forth and back and forth and uh, a lot of inner inner turmoil. But the thing that, when my daughter was um, 13 months, the thing that caused me to take the jump is thinking about my daughter at my age, at her, you know, being 20 years old and giving her away. And who was I going to give her away to? <laughs> Statistically, it's going to be her father if I stayed where I was. So that gave me enough fire to take a jump into the unknown. I got out in between in the 15-minute increments that he would call it, check and see what I was doing. Um, you just grabbed
1: your daughter and got the F out?
0: Got out, left while he was at work. Um, he would call me every 15 minutes just to see what I was doing. And um
1: How did he ever get any work done?
0: <laughs> this is a great
1: question. You have shit to do at work. Yeah, yeah. Apparently not. And,
0: and so I so uh, you
1: grabbed your daughter your daughter was two months old, Carolyn?
0: She would no at that point. Oh, it was that one that and her, a half years yeah, later. She yes. was, a year, right. yeah, she was yes. a year and a half. And so I left. And um
1: did you take your stuff with you or did you just decide took, in a moment or how like
0: took two toddler bat be- two boxes in her toddler bed. Wow. And where light. did you go? Um I went to um subsidized low income housing through the county. Um
1: and where, where were you living at the time?
0: So that was when I was in Wisconsin. And, and so um
1: And so there was a community some kind of low income service low yes. income housing mm-hmm. that would accept you? Yes. And so so you're, you're what, 21, 22 years old at this point?
0: At that point, um, how old was I? I was just 20, 22. And and um,
1: how old was your daughter?
0: So then she would have been a year and a half.
1: And what's her name? Bronte. Bronte.
0: Bronte sisters, yeah. It was a college read. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, um, and yeah, so that's where, that's where i found myself you know standing in line at the salvation army waiting for food and in that point i was fearful for my life because he had promised me if i would ever think of leaving that he would end my life in his own so that we could be together forever and um i was fearful of the unknown i was fearful of him and i was fearful of what kind of life I was going to provide my doctor. I didn't know, you know where where food food to put on the table. I didn't know how I was going to pay bills. I had no idea. Um, but I'd make, taken the leap. And as I was standing there um, in line at the Salvation Army, I stood there and I was numb in almost like this like this warm, warm buzzing feeling. And I was looking around the room um, and thinking, is it like? Is this my life? Like, is this, Carolyn? Is this what's it's going to be? And in that moment, I thought, no, I, the, absolutely not. This is not what it's going to be. I'm going to become the mother and the sister and the person that my sister and my my daughter can look up to. That that they come to for advice. That I'm going to become. Powerful somehow. And so I had to make a choice in that moment and that line because I I just remember so clearly the people and the faces and the, the smell just being in that space of overwhelm to the point where I was paralyzed, just standing in that line and just taking one step forward literally was debilitating. Um, and, and, uh, I had to figure out another way. And, you know, a very helpful person said to me, Carolyn, just one day at a time, just one day at a time. And that's a very common thing. And they meant very well, uh, they meant well in saying it, but I thought, you know what? One day at a time is just way, way too much. Why, why even, why even try? Because one whole day seems like way too much. So I had to break it down and I broke it down into five minutes. I knew that I could take a deep breath and I could suck it up for five minutes. And that is where Fierce was born. That five minutes at a time practicing ferocity. And I... I I hate to
1: interrupt you, but you couldn't even wrap your head around one day at a time. You had to break it into, I can take it for, I can take my life for the next five minutes. Yes. And then the next five minutes, and I'm going to be fierce in these five fucking minutes.
0: That's right. (laughs) Now,
1: here's the, okay, so, so I, uh, look, I've been to some dark places in my life, but I don't know that I've ever got to, okay, I, I don't know about the day, but the next five minutes, I don't know that I've ever quite been there. And so I'm just curious. I'm always fascinated by this question. We all have moments in life where we're we're given a choice. Where life's either going to make us or break us in in those moments. You know, my friend, Dr. James Kelly calls it a crucible moment. That's what his, his book's about, right? I think it's a very powerful word, a word you don't hear very often, but it's an interesting word. And so... We all face these crucible moments and I'm always fascinated why um, some people are crushed by them and never get over them. Some people are crushed by them and then at some point later on, find the courage to move forward. And then some people in the moment, like you're describing, you're not crushed. You're almost crushed because all you can handle in your head is five minutes, but there's enough... In you i don't I don't know what to call it gumption, courage, grit, what you're maybe you'll tell me um, uh, but you have enough to commit to the next five minutes. How do you find that um, willpower or however you think about it? What is it you're summoning to get through those next five minutes and then the next five minutes?
0: Well, originally, I was summoning the anger. you know, it's just you know if you think about you know I was standing there. I'm in that line, I'm, you know, I'm scared, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious. Um, And then on top of that, just to add, you know, just, just for fun, there's also the flashbacks. You know, I'm continually flipping flashback because the anxiety and the overwhelm and all of those things trigger the flashbacks of the abuse that I experienced. So, I truly, the ferocity came out of that anger. Like, no, enough. I'm going to take this anger that I expect I have, and I'm going to use it as fuel to say no you're not winning, the people that abused me, the people that told me I couldn't, the people who told me I was no good, that I would never amount to anything, all of those things and say, no, they're not winning. And that gave me the the, the push I needed in which to push me that next five minutes. And I'd keep going, pushing five minutes at a time, five minutes at a time. And soon enough, I'd gotten through a half day and I could look back and I could say, Wow, that worked. I'm gonna keep doing that. And in the moment, I don't know if I really truly realized what I was doing and the method within it. Um, all I knew is that those triggers in that I, I mean i I would get my my heart would start racing because I was so angry. Um, but I had to choose you know, people choose one path or another. And and by God, I was going to be the best damn mother I could be, whatever that meant. Uh, You know, I didn't know exactly what that meant in the moment, but I knew that I was going to try to be the best mother I could be. If I were to die the next day, my daughter would know and I would be at peace that I tried my hardest to be the best mother. Hmm. And as I kept continuing toward that.
1: That's why you say she saved your life because she gave you a purpose.
0: She did, she saved my life because she gave me a reason.
1: And so, okay, so take me from, we're we're standing in line at the the Salvation Army. That's where we are, right? The Sally Ann, God bless them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Just a side note, my dad's a trumpet player. And for the last few years, uh, he plays with lots of different bands. And um, for the last few years, he's been playing with the Sally Ann Band in Montreal. And he just tells me all these wonderful things about being associated with these people. How um, cool. yeah, so cool. so cool. God bless him. And so, so now today, here you are. You have you three. Am I remembering this right? Three kids. Three. Yes. A daughter and two boys.
0: Yes. All right. Yes.
1: And you are insanely successful. You're a PhD. Uh, you you stand on these giant stages. You do all this interesting work. Um, you you seem like an incredibly happy, successful, productive, on purpose, uh, kick ass human being. Um, that's a far way from fighting through the next five minutes at the fucking Sally Ann. Right. Doctor Colleen.
0: <laughs> true, true.
1: So uh, so I, you know. Of course, what I love to get to is, um, you know, a little bit more color on from the Sally Ann to the person we see today. And then also, of course, I'm fascinated by um, what you think you learn from what is, you know, one of the most extraordinary personal transformations a human being, I think, can go through is what you've been through. But before Mm -hmm. we get to the learnings, I just, how how do we go from (laughs) the Sally Ann line to who you are today?
0: Well, you know what? I tied up my bootstraps and I faked it till I made it. And um what I did is just 5 minutes at a time. I registered myself for college. Um I, I you know what? I I sat down and I thought, "Okay, how am I going to get out of this place? How am I going to get out of, you know, low income housing, food stamps, pantries, food pantries? Um how am I going to create a life and the only way I saw is getting, getting registered in school because I did the calculation and I was trying to figure out, well, you know, I could work in a retail job, but that doesn't cover. You know, I can, I, and I did, I, I worked a retail job. I worked, I went to school full time. I uh, did cleaning jobs. I drove school bus. I, <laughs> I did waitressing. I did bartending and I did them all at the same time. And trying to break free from the circle of poverty, and I, you know, sat down and in the th- you know the thing is is that in my childhood, given you know given the way that I was raised, I learned how to be very resourceful, and I also learned how to be very tenacious, um, because I was you know caring for my sister and in figuring out ways to problem solve, and so problem solving was a gift from my childhood. And so I sat down and I thought, how can I break this cycle? And the way that I figured out is that I needed cash jobs. So I had cleaning jobs. I had waitressing jobs. I had bargaining jobs. I also had a retail job. And I got a job at a hospital because a hospital was the only place that would provide insurance. So, and then I also went to school at the same and time.
1: Doing that, yeah, I was just about to say, you're doing that as a mother and um, we're had you graduated high school at that point or where were you? Yes. In your, so, so you had your high school diploma and you were, did, where did, did you go to university or what did yes, you do? I first? went to
0: university. Yep.
1: And, and um, and so, and how, I mean you hear so much, we hear so much today about, you know, college debt and how expensive, and how did you make the expense of being a mother and, and being a student and, and all, and do all that. Like, how the hell do you make all that work? Carolyn?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mapped out my day every day. I mapped out and figured out, you know, where I had space in my schedule. Okay, I need to be at school for this amount of time. Then I need to figure out travel time. Then I need to figure out um, you know, where I can maximize on the amount of you know cash from cleaning jobs and weigh out that compared to working at a hospital or working at you know retail and just really grinding down on my schedule and doing it five minutes at a time. Because if I thought whoa if I thought bigger than just five minutes at a time I could very quickly think whoa how how am I ever going to get through this and how am I going to keep and maintain the energy in which to keep pushing and so breaking it down to five minutes in that space made it so that I I didn't uh, that that five that next five minutes was the carrot and it kept me going it kept me pushing um because if I were to think whoa Fifteen years of education, <laughs> or you know, thinking of you know the, the endless you know fifty, sixty, sometimes seventy hours of work. Uh, no, th- there could be a very quick breakdown. So I kept it small, and I kept my goals very short. And um,
1: so, did you? When did you? You didn't know in the beginning you were going to become this fierce PhD. No, <laughs> You just thought you would try going to college for a little bit.
0: And go to college there. and get a job that I could sustain an income in order to get out of, get out of you know subsidized housing. And um, and I did and that. Were you I, on know, food stamps? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So the 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 um, quote unquote social safety net provided some little bit of a net that you had a little help.
0: It did. And, and but it was also a catch 22 because the more money you make the less help you get but right. it's not enough to put in the savings to get out and so um so I had to how did out. you
1: get to that crossover point where working made sense and it, 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 given the reduction in your support that you were going to get
0: i i, I had to figure out how to trick the system this in the system was working for cash which is cleaning houses yeah so i cleaned you had houses and I to do and
1: stick handle around some stuff until you could get over the hump.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Cause there's not a way you, I mean, if you're, if you're not working for cash, you're not getting out. <laughs> um, really? so yeah, no, it doesn't. The, the system is broken. So, um, so you
1: have to do a little stick handling or you're going to get, you're going to stay stuck. Yes. And you just decided, I don't care. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Stretch a line or two, <laughs> however you want to think about it, because I need to get myself out of this situation.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, yes, and I did, and um, I kept pushing forward. And
1: you know, I, I hate to interrupt you, but it's what a worthwhile investment you are of tax dollars, Doctor.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, uh, we had um, we had uh, Ken Honda on recently. He sold over 8 million books in Japan. He's like a giant self-help guru in Japan. And yeah. he's his first English book called Happy Money. And one of the things he talks about is one of his mentors was describing to him how much he loved paying taxes. Hmm. Because paying taxes meant that he had made money. So that was good for him and his family. And paying taxes meant that we could have roads. Hmm. And we could have fire departments and police departments and we could have nice parks and that um, people in our society who are less well-off could have some help from the government, et cetera. And that we could live in a safe country and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it just was an interesting comment and I've sort of thought about it ever since because my whole life I've bitched about paying taxes. And <laughs> uh, what Ken says is when the money comes in, you should say origato. And when the money goes out, you should say origato because you got to have the money and now you spent the money and having somebody else have the money means they're going to be happy with the money. This is whole zen, happy money philosophy. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I just, um, it's just amazing to me the tenacity, the willpower, the... It's so easy. And I've been there too, although I haven't been to the places you've been, but I've certainly been to places in my own life where I wanted to give up. Yes. And when you're in a place like you are in, I mean it could be it could it could seem like the easy thing to do to give up.
0: And you know, and truly, yes, and I don't know if any I don't know if anyone would blame me. Right. Um, because there's so many things that were weighing against me. Um, you
1: had all the excuses in the world to be a complete disaster in your life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to make any shit up at all. <laughs> Some people have to manufacture shit to, right. blame, yeah. you know, to have an excuse to have a shitty life. You didn't have to embellish one word of it. Right. <laughs> And, and so, you know, maybe let's go there, doctor. What are the big learnings? I mean, because when I, I listen to you, we have this, I, I can only imagine you as a wonderful little four-year-old, this wonderful four-year-old girl, and horrible abuse to this fierce PhD on a mission.
0: hmm mm-hmm. You know, I learned the, the the big learnings, I would say is that when my definition of love evolved, I evolved. And so I took that, and you know while I was working on trying to be the best mother that I could be, I was also redefining what love meant. And as I grew, my I, I borrowed the love that I had for my daughter until my self-love caught up. And so through wow. this process, I I continually evolved and I evolved fiercely because I was on a mission, I was on a mission to, to be that person. And the coolest thing that I share, you know, that I, I really, it just warms my heart is that that first day that I dropped my daughter off at college. and. I knew at that moment when I'm seeing her walk away, and I can feel the tears rolling up in my eyes, um, is that my daughter had nothing to worry about besides getting to Target to buy ramen noodles. <laughs> <And>
1: <laughs> the rite me, of passage, ramen noodles.
0: Yes, yes. Um, you know, she didn't. To me, that is success, and. And like I said before, if I were to die, um, I could die in peace knowing that I tried my damnedest to be the best mother I could be. And through that, I've grown. I've grown and I've, I've learned to move to that next level of love. And I continually evolve in order to look back at my life and learn that there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to all of the things that have occurred in my life in the purpose to be able to give in a way that helps others grow. And so when you are seeing me on those stages and you're seeing me, you know, share my story and and help other people grow, um, it's truly living into my purpose um, and aligning for what the universe has in store.
1: And, um, and man, have you ever done that, Dr. Colleen. <laughs> now, I know I don't have you for a ton longer. Uh, remind me the names of your two boys and how old they are now.
0: Uh, Dylan and Elliot. They're nine and almost seven.
1: Wow. And your daughter's in, uh, in college now.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: That's outstanding. Uh, you are a gift to humanity, lady.
0: Thank you. Thank um,
1: And I think you're, you're an inspiration to all of us.
0: Thank you. you. I'm I'm glad to be here. And
1: I'm glad you're here.
0: And it's, it's peaceful. I'm glad to find peace. And, uh, and not only that, but finding that gratitude and aligning with my purpose. It's just, that is, it's, it's, it's powerful.
1: Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough, doctor. It's great to see you. Um, uh, I don't know when I'll see you again, but hopefully soon. Um, Are you gonna be at One Life by chance?
0: Most definitely.
1: Okay, well then I'll see you. No matter what, I'll see you in Long Beach at One Life.
0: Yes, I'm excited to see you.
1: And uh, Dr. Colleen, you're amazing. Thank you so much. I have so enjoyed this time with you. You're an incredible inspiration.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. (gasps)
1: I hear that little voice. I'll let you go.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: There she is, Dr. Carolyn Colleen. And if you're not inspired by that, I I give up. (laughs) I don't know what else to do. (laughs) Now in business, we all got to stay on top of our numbers and my friends at NetSuite want to make sure you know your numbers so that you can grow your business. Uh, Imagine having every critical metric that you need to manage and grow your business on your smartphone, on your tablet, of course on your computer, anytime, anywhere. NetSuite makes that happen. They have incredible dashboards that allow you to stay on top of sales, orders, finance, inventory, accounting, uh, and even HR. Thousands of the best known companies and fastest growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business and now it's available to you and it's surprisingly cost effective. Check out netsuite.com slash different. And as a listener to this odd cast, my friends at NetSuite are offering you a free one hour growth review with an expert in your industry. So to get on top of your numbers, to manage your growth and to always know what's up, Go to netsuite.com slash different. If you want to get a hold of us, feel free to send an email to lockhead.com. And as the name would suggest, uh, <laughs> if we don't get back to you, it's not because we don't love you. Feel free to email us twice if you haven't heard back from us. Uh, I got to tell you, sometimes it's really hard to keep on top of all of the inbound, but we are doing our absolute best. Uh, you can also track me on Twitter and Instagram at Lockhead. All right. We would like to thank the incredible, the amazing, our guest and my friend, Dr. Carolyn Colleen. Check out her book, Fierce, Transform Your Life in the Face of Adversity in Five Minutes at a Time. The good folks at One Life org. Uh, remember, our eighth annual conference is coming up. Check it out, One Life slash C. Lockhead. Uh, Niche Down How to Become Legendary by Being Different. It's a number one bestseller written by Heather Clancy and myself. Check it out, Niche Down. Um, are you an entrepreneur? Are you an entrepreneurial person interested in growing yourself? Well, if you are, check out GrowWire.com for stories of innovation. And um, have you ever thought about a virtual assistant? This is the ability to scale the most important thing we all have, which is time. Check out my friends at bottleneck.online. Now, do you live in beautiful Santa Cruz, California? If you do, are you thinking about taking your fitness to a whole new lever level? Lever? Maybe lever to get to the level. I don't know. But if you want to get in critical awesome legendary shape and stay there why not train like it matters with me and my friends at paradigm sport check out paradigmsport.com all right i need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the lockhead oddcast network all rights do remain perturbed uh we must warn you that clearly this odd oddcast gets created in a studio that does contain nuts teach human decency don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Remember to listen to Van Halen and, hey, man, that suit is you. Do some thinking about thinking. I love you, Candy Dandy. And thank you, Mom and Dad, or the other way around, or both. <laughs> and hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Dr. Larry Nasser. Sorry, Larry, we just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Uh, it really does mean the world to me and to the dozen or so people that are involved with this podcast. Thank you so much. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different.